0: Hi there my name is preston puto welcome to the lake ridge community church podcast this is where we share some of our messages from sunday mornings so we're glad you're here to listen we'd love for you to join us in person we meet on sunday mornings at 10:30 a.m at our lady of wisdom school here in Chestermere at our core, we're a community of people. So we gather on Sundays, but we also do a lot in the week together. We are people learning to follow Jesus and love our city. So to learn more, visit lakeridgecommunity.com. Hope to check in and visit with you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. Hey friends, I just wanted to uh, welcome you here as we step into this next season. We have a lot that we're going to be doing in the next uh, 20, 25 minutes or so. And so, uh, I trust that God is is at work. Sometimes, or the way that I was actually uh, taught to preach was this. Uh, Well, the classic way is that you end a sermon always with some practical thing that you can take away. I don't know if you notice this, but I don't do that very much. (laughs) I'm actually way more interested in these moments together. I'm way more interested in helping us turn our affection towards Jesus. I think when our hearts are turned towards him and we see ourselves in light of the absolute love and grace of Jesus, we'll know what to do next. <laughs> you'll know what to do Sunday afternoon and Monday. You'll know how to apply it because you'll be walking at the, at the elbow of the master who is taking you into your one and beautiful life and he will show you what you have to do. <laughs> I, think, I think it cheapens the work sometimes to say, here's three tips for having a really great week. <laughs> What I want to leave you with is an imagination, a re-enchanted imagination for who Jesus is to you and to us. Through all the noise that we encounter throughout the week, I want to bring us back to the heart of who Jesus is. Because I believe he is the only way for us to find our way through this life. So today we're going to start by talking about Elvis. Because who doesn't want to start off a sermon talking about Elvis? I saw, I don't know if you knew this... But there's um, there's these videos called shreds. You've heard of this? Oh, some someone knows. Someone knows, really? Okay. So what what these videos are? If is people take music videos and they remove all the music and then dub back in just the sound effects of well, you'll 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 see it here. So I wanted, I found this uh, this 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 one here. I hope I hope it comes on through. There's some sound with it with it too let's see I'm glad someone knows what this is this is i just i just learned about it oh yeah next 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 slide here this is it. that that is Elvis with all the glory of the music removed, okay? Now, I like that almost better than the version with all the music, right? There's something about seeing Elvis just jamming away in his own head to whatever's going on in there on an empty stage without a crowd, without a music, or anything. And and I think that actually leaves me more endeared to Elvis when he's there just, just doing life, right? but it's a very different kind of endearment, right? It isn't all the glitz and glamour. It's it's this guy. It's probably like me in my bathroom in the morning, right? Kelly says I look in the mirror at myself an awful lot. It's because I'm pretty much doing that, right? I got music in my head, and I'm jamming, right? I'm there. I think the Christmas story comes to us in two packages. I think the one package is full of all the music, all the glitz, all the glamour, And there's something glorious and wondrous in it with all the lights, camera, action. I think the other Christmas story is full of glorious wonder. But it's full of glorious wonder because it's stripped absolutely of everything but the humans that are in it. Right? No lights, no camera, no action. But I think this is the glorious story we meet. Where we meet God who loves entering into our ordinary stories too. Here's two pictures of the nativity. Here is one. This is from 1423. It's called The Adoration of the Magi by De Fabriano. And it is, it is glorious, right? Back when people were quite illiterate and uh, where the world was kind of gray and bleak, uh, you could go to your church and you could see this. <laughs> you maybe didn't know what you were looking at, but boy, was it something else. It must be holy because, boy, is it glitzy, Right? There's a lot going on there. Maybe only the priests would really know all the details going on. But there you got Jesus and Mary. And, and you'd come during Advent and you would encounter this and go, wow, God must really be special. Then there's this other one by an artist I like, Henry Osawa Tanner in 1898. He paints a very different type of picture. I think one stripped of all the glory, right? <laughs> or is it? It's a different kind of glory. It's Mary, and she's sitting here, and there's baby Jesus. He's finally fallen asleep. If you're a mom, you know what the glory of that moment is, right? There's baby Jesus finally falling asleep, and there's a little halo floating above him uh, with his faces covered. Uh, And there's Mary looking, wondering at what her story looks like. Two different types of glory, but they're both glorious. Luke 2 Four says this. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time had come for the baby to be born, and so she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him in snuggle, uh, he, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, And laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the field nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. The radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. The angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by the sign. You will find him wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Here Luke mentions something twice. He mentions at the beginning and the end of this little passage that this baby has been wrapped <laughs> snugly. Why is this important? This is what we're going to talk about t- t- today. Talk about this, this sense of being wrapped in these strips of cloth. Of all the details, Luke found this one really important to share. I think that it had meaning for this story, and it had meaning for him, and it had meaning for those who first read it, and I wonder if exploring it might have some new meaning for us too. And so, we have here our little wooden manger. This is it. It is not glorious, but we always like to put Christmas lights around it and everything, right, to make it a little bit extra special. Well, mangers, they are feeding troughs, right? Sometimes they were stone, sometimes they might have been wood. Uh, More likely stone, actually, but... Normally, a king would not be born in a feeding trough. However, this manger is full of prophetic imagery from the history of Israel. It goes back, way, way back, as the manger was really a picture of what it was to rely on God for everything. And so there's a scripture that I want to read from Isaiah. It says this, Hear, O heavens, I wonder if we could put it up. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now listen to this part. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. This ancient prophecy, and Isaiah is full of Christmas prophecy, right? It's full of the coming of the Messiah. But it's going back to it. It says even, even these animals know where to get their food. Even these animals know where to go and find their sustenance, find their nourishment. The ox knows his master. The donkey knows the manger. But Israel, they don't know. They don't know where to go to get their food. They do not know where to go and get full and be healthy. My people, they do not understand. And so here, Jesus, Luke is mentioning a manger. I think one of the first times in Scripture since this passage is that Jesus, he's being laid in this manger. It's hard for people expecting Herod to see Jesus. They were looking for a mighty king. Herod was this mighty king. <laughs> he was part Jewish. He was, he was an Arab, Jew, Greek culture, Roman politics. This guy had it all covered down. He's like, if these guys don't accept me as king, no one will. I got everything going for me. He was building palaces. He's trying to show everybody, look how good I am. He's a strong man. He's cutting down anybody who is in his way. But it's hard for those who, have, who don't have their eyes focused on God to see God when God is in front of them. But here animals know the source of their food and safety, and they know where to turn to the manger to await their daily food. So as Mary lies, Jesus, in this trough, he is the food and the nourishment of Israel, the one that they needed all along. <laughs> Not the king off in the Herodium, which is this big fortress, only probably about a mile or two away from where Jesus was born. is probably where King Herod was on that day. And here he's being born in this feeding trough. Which one was going to be food for Israel? Which one? Which one was going to nourish them? He would be their bread of life. He would be the life for God's people and the world. But those who are self uh, self-sufficient, they don't need Jesus. <laughs> They would put their trust in Herod's kingdom. And a lot of them would. They would miss the source of the very life that has come near. And this is a common refrain through the book of Luke. That people were waiting for Jesus but they could not see. So we meet this guy named Simeon. (laughs) He's been longing for the coming of this Messiah for years and years and years. And he's in the temple. And so they bring Jesus a few days later to the temple. And they introduce him to Simeon. And he's been longing. He's, He's like please don't let me die until I see with my own eyes the one who is going to be food for Israel. The one who is going to nourish us. Not King Herod. He had eyes to see that that guy was a sham. They want a real Messiah, a real king who will really change. So I love this, this painting here. It's, it's a Simeon, and he's holding Jesus. It's just You can just imagine, right? Just longing, longing, longing. And now he's holding this baby boy, and he's just he's just... Um, struck deeply. It says, With my own eyes, I've seen your salvation. It's now out in the open for everyone to see. A God revealing light to the non-Jewish nations and of glory for your people Israel. This child marks both the failure and the recovery of many in Israel. A figure misunderstood and contradicted. He knows the split in Israel's heart. That this is what they need. They need this coming Messiah and King. But he's going to be a contradictory figure, right? Everybody really wants a King Herod. But they need Jesus. And so he's holding. He's like, this is the hope. So many would find that Jesus is this bread of life. Many would find, or, and others would not. And Luke is saying to his readers, do you understand and recognize what's happening at the manger? Do you understand and recognize? Jesus is your nourishment. Will you receive him? and satisfy your soul-deep hunger in this life. Bethlehem, it means house of bread. Jesus is born in the house of bread. He is food put in the manger that the animals know, that those with eyes to see know, but many will not. So That's one. He is food. Second one, receiving blanket. When Scotia and Ivy were born, if you're a parent, you might have experienced this, uh, but when they, when, she, when they were born, they weighed them, they checked all their little orifices, checked all their little fingers, made sure everything was working, and then they wrapped them up after weighing them, and they handed, they handed the babies to me, the most inexperienced person in the room, to be receiving the baby, right? I, like, Kelly carried the child. She knew things. All the others are experts, but they give the baby to me to receive in this receiving blanket. <laughs> and I was in awe. My little burrito were handed to me. I was handed these newborns and I was in awe. I received my babies. And they were ready to be mine when they were wrapped up. In Luke's story, Jesus, he is swaddled too. He's wrapped up and Luke mentions this. This isn't a sign of poverty actually. This isn't a sign that this was some poor family and that's all that they had. In fact, when you, re- when you wrapped a baby in this culture, you were saying, this baby is received. <laughs> it is owned. It is ours. Swaddling is a sign that Jesus wasn't an outcast. He wasn't tossed out. He wasn't on the outside of things. But that his parents properly received him. You see, Joseph could have done what a lot of Romans would do in that time. Because Joseph, well, he ain't the father, <laughs> Right? This is part of the whole weirdness of the story, right? Is that Mary got somehow pregnant by the Holy Spirit and Joseph's still probably running through this. If it wasn't for an angel, that came to him. But he's not the father. And he could have done what the Romans would have done in that time. And you know what they do? You take the baby and you don't receive the baby. You take the baby outside of town and put the baby on a pile of dirt. And it's called, it's a non-received baby. (laughs) And it would have been within his rights to take that baby and put it outside of town. You didn't kill the baby, you just said, I don't receive the child. It's out. Ezekiel 16.4 says, well, we get a picture of the opposite. The prophet says, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in clothes. It's this picture in Ezekiel of people who are not receiving their children in a culture where it's just the child is neglected and sent away. Well, that's not what's happening here, is it? The child is wrapped up and he is received. The book of John starts with the same language. Listen to this. John 1, it says, He came into the very world he created and the world did not recognize him, it says. In John 1.10, He came to his own people and they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So not only did His his parents received him, and these shepherds received him, and these foreigners received him, which we'll talk about in a, in a couple Sundays here. These people received him, but a lot of the world did not. <laughs> but Luke is saying, this is what you do with Jesus, is you receive him. <laughs> you make him yours. He's not on the edge of your life. He is, he, he is wrapped and bundled into you in the same way his parents took him in and received him. And then John says, and those who do receive him, they become children of God. Beautiful. The manger is food. The manger is a place where we receive Jesus and join with Jesus. The third way, I think, to see the manger is the maker wrapped in what he made. I wonder if you could show the next picture here. It's a piece of art. I showed this to our staff, and we all kind of spent some time with it. It's an art called O Magnum Mysterium by Joel uh, Shishley. It shows Jesus and he's wrapped, uh, he's wrapped up. (laughs) He's wrapped up but he's kind of like laid there with not a lot around except you can see an ox uh, and a lamb or donkey and a lamb drinking in the water. It's kind of a mysterious picture. But the creator of this painting, he was moved by something very meaningful. He was moved by this verse from Proverbs 8, uh, 27 and 28. It says this. Now remember, Jesus was there at the beginning of creation, right? Imagine this. When he established the heavens, it says in Proverbs, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the firm skies above, when he established the fountains in the deep, when he assigned the seas to its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in the inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. From the start, Jesus was there. Imagine the grand architect of everything we know. Of physics, of chemistry, of musical notes. The grand architect of the sunrises, of sex of steak and potatoes, of flowers, and every breath you take. He is now, the God who made everything, is now wrapped in his creation. (laughs) He thinks it is so good and so worth loving that he would come and be wrapped in it. He would say, wrap me up in a tight little bundle. Receive your maker. He loves what he made. He takes delight in it, it says in this Proverbs scripture. Even to submit to it, even though he is Lord over it he is submitting to all of its sorrow to all of its limits the same limits that are around you he submits to it because he says i made this and it is good and i want to enter in you see so the lord of lords and the king of kings he so loves the world that he enters into it in the most lowly place but let me tell you this it's lowly but it's not unholy it is lowly but it's not unholy you see nothing he made is unholy to him He made it. He said it's good. And he's wrapping himself in it. No cloth blanket, no matter the stain, is brushed aside by Jesus. It's not a purple king's robe, nor is it a noble king's crown that makes him king. No, he is already king. Herod had to go around and put on a crown. He had to put on a purple robe. He had to try to prove to everybody that he was king. No, no, no. Jesus is the king of kings, and he is wrapped in what he made because it is glorious. (laughs) He is coming forth from a woman because she is glorious. (laughs) He made her, loves her. He's coming into a world around these ox and lamb and sheep because it's glorious. (laughs) And yet it's kind of like Elvis doing his dance, right? It's missing all the sound and everything, but Jesus sees it for what it is. And I think Jesus, this grand architect of the world, he sees you for what you are—soiled, maybe, (laughs) a little wrinklier than you were last year, right? A little less hair on top. He sees you, and he says you are holy, and I want to wrap myself in you, in the creation that I have have made in you. I want to live in you. I want to be with you. You are not foreign to me. You are not dirty to me. You are holy to me because I made. You And my presence makes you holy in my sight. Food. Received. Wrapped in his creation. Luke wants to tie in this birth and his death. He writes almost the exact same thing at the beginning and the end. Luke writes that they wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger. And then at his death it echoes again It says they wrapped his body in linen cloth and laid him in a tomb. Almost identical. He's wrapped somehow at the birth and it echoes in at his death. Birth to death. This is a human story. This is our story. What is Jesus doing in birth and death? Jesus hung on a cross and he was wrapped as he was born and buried in a tomb. But where one king, the king Herod, remains underground, Jesus, he rose from the tomb. This was his creation. Death could not hold him. He is risen. So what is glory? What is the glory of this manger? Is it purple robes? Palaces? Power? The messages you hear all week want to tell you what glory is. So is that what we expect? Well, when the music is gone and the world and all of its mess is before us and the fog machines of this world are turned off, what do we have? Frederick Buechner, he wrote this. He said, Glory is what God looks like when for the time being all you have to look at him with is a pair of eyes. I'll say that again. Glory is what God looks like when for the time being all you have to look at him with is a pair of eyes. You do not need anything more than your life right now come before God in all of its ordinariness to experience the glory of Jesus in this season. Ordinary eyes. Say, God, what is it that you are my food? What is it that I can receive you in my life? Father, or Jesus, what does it look like if your creation, if if you would envelop me too? What is this? Is this glory? At Christmas, we meet God wrapped in a world he made, subject to it, yet strangely lord over it. At Christmas, we're invited to receive Jesus in a world that rejects God in the favor of other kings. At Christmas, we come to the manger and receive the nourishment that Mary and Simeon and countless others hope for. Where we spend a lifetime looking for food, we know that nothing but God himself come to us. The image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation, wrapped in swaddling clothes, will alone feed our starved world and feed me, my heart. This is the glory of God for us, found in a manger. (laughs) A meal. Jesus, when he gathered his friends at the end, he had a meal with them. And he was saying, when you eat this meal again, do this in remembrance of me, right? I am your food. When you eat this bread and drink this cup, take me into you. Receive me into you. But this is how he showed them what this looks like. At the beginning, I said, What does this look like practically? And I'm trying to help you have an affection for who Jesus is. Well, Jesus, I think, was doing the same thing with his disciples as they're kind of going, I don't understand. This is too much for me. He said, Let me show you. And so he got down. Here's my next picture here. He got down. And he took a cloth. (laughs) Yet another cloth. Jesus must have always carried around a tea towel, hey? I wonder. He took yet another cloth and he said, do you want to know how to worship me? He fed them and then he washed their feet. By washing their feet, this, this was to signify exactly who he was. This is the hope that we have in Jesus is that God himself would come into this world that he loves and that he would not only come to us, but that he would wash our feet the most lowly way possible. Not because it's lowly, because it's unholy, but because it is precisely holy that he would come and wash the feet of his creation. And say, you do not know what you are made of and what you are made for, but I am here to show you today. And it starts at the manger and it's going to end in the tomb. But it is all-encompassing of your life. My friends, I am your king. Ordinary food and an ordinary towel held in the hands of a man who is God makes both the food and the towel holy to their absolute core. Jesus, the great architect, he gave his greatest sermon when he came wrapped in cloth, washed his friend's feet, served food and died wrapped in cloth and rose again. He came into the very world he created and the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people and they even rejected him. He came to his, er, but all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but from a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is the hope and the good news of the Christmas story. Friends, I invited you this week. uh, Some of you might have seen the notes, but I invited you to bring a tea towel to service today. If you did, awesome. If you didn't, uh, we might do this next Sunday too. I'm hoping to collect a tea towel from every family. There's a secret. There's a method to my madness. Uh, I'm hoping that you'll leave your tea towel with us. We're going to do something, and we're going to come back in the new year with something that we do with these tea towels. So it's kind of an arts and crafts project, maybe, that Preston's getting into. I don't know. But what it is for today is something, I think, quite meaningful. Whether it is Jesus is becoming your food and is your nourishment, in a world that offers you many other things that are not in your nourishment. Whether it is you coming today as a family to receive Jesus. And say, I, I don't leave you outside, Jesus. I want you close. Or whether it is you saying, my, this created world that I'm living in, I want Jesus to envelop it. And call it holy again. Because it doesn't feel very holy to me right now. Wherever you are coming, I hope that you today will come and do two things. One, bring your piece of fabric, your tea towel. Whatever imagery you now carry with it. And I hope you would come and leave it in the manger. And set it down. And have a moment where you sense what it is to receive Jesus into your heart and into your life in this season. So whatever you bring in your heart or your story, it already has been made by him. He knows you. He is with you. You are not outside of his care. You might just be like Elvis dancing away to your own music feeling like this life isn't as glorious as you thought. He's meeting you in that glory, because he made you for it. And so we're going to come here, and I'm going to invite you, if you come and lay down a towel there, and then if you would come over uh, to the table. I think that these two stories are connected, the birth and the death of Jesus. And I hope you would come to the table, and you would receive the nourishment of Jesus. You would receive at the table the one who says, I am doing this for you in birth and in death. I love you. I'm your food today. On the night when he was betrayed, Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen? Friends, would you, would you come to the manger and to the table? You are very welcome here. already. You take the body and blood of our living and risen Lord Jesus Christ, who is food for us. The ox and the lamb, they know where their manger is. Israel, they don't. But we, we have come because we know where the source of life is. The bread of life has been revealed to us. Let's take it if you haven't already. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? Look at all these tea towels. I don't know what we're going to make, but it's going to be cool. <laughs> we serve a God who has first served us. <laughs> we love because he first loved us. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace as you go from here, deeply loved and made holy in him. Amen? Amen. Have a good Advent. It's going to be a good journey.